0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast. I am Zach Bitter, your host, and today I am coming to you solo to do a little bit of a question answer segment as well as some topics. I guess you could call it questions or topics that have kind of come in to me through email and social media over the weeks i will target three of those for today's episode as well as walk you through a sample day of training and nutrition in my life one question i get a lot is how often do you run or how much do you run and what are you eating so the idea behind the sample day is just give a snapshot of what one day in the midst of a full year worth of off-season base building short interval long interval tempo run speed development processes as well as for me with the really long races ultimately peaking phases give you some snapshots along the way for that so you can kind of get an idea of how things change throughout my season as well as uh kind of some insight into what i'm doing uh also some updates with the podcast and some future guests right now i have a few episodes recorded and up on the patreon page so for those of you who are really excited to hear ad free audio of the podcast right away as soon as I'm done recording versus waiting. It usually takes maybe two, three weeks for me to get a podcast up after it's been recorded. If you want it right away, you can get it there on the Patreon page, or it's always going to be free at some point when it gets released. So the ones that are sitting on Patreon waiting to get released include my interview with Dr. Nick Norwitz and Dave Feldman, they came on the show to discuss uh, a paper that they just recently released on lean mass hyper responders. It was something that I think was maybe a little controversial in the sense that it uh, it it was maybe projected by some as a a large piece of evidence that goes against the kind of the consensus when it comes to uh, cholesterol levels and. Really, I think it's a conversation starter more than anything. And I think those guys came on to kind of share what we actually know from that paper, what comes next, and how we should actually be looking at it versus maybe what you've seen floating around on social media. So that one will be coming out soon. I also recorded an episode with Dr. Mark Bubbs. Dr. Mark Bubbs came on the episode a while back, it's probably a couple of years ago at this point. And he came on to talk about just some of the stuff that. He has done over the years, he works with uh, the Canadian pro basketball players, uh, as well as NBA basketball players. He wrote a book or co-authored a book called Peak. And in that book, I still think it's one of the better books in terms of highlighting kind of what nutrition science has shown over the years, what is kind of being consensus or spoken to at the moment, but what is kind of coming down the pipe in terms of new research, new science that may alter the way we train, fuel, prepare. And one thing that I really liked about that book is it didn't just say like, well, this is what the studies show. And then you have to dig and find whether or not it was done on pro athletes or people with a nine to five job, a family and other things. They, they look into the variances between different population levels and try to give you an idea of what is available from the research side of things, as well as what's potentially coming out. So Dr. Bubbs came on to and and give me some updates on that stuff, as well as uh, talk a little bit about his next book or his most recent book, Peak 40, which just looks into a little more of a uh, specific group of people with his dietary recommendations and training protocols and things like that. So that one will be coming up. Another one that I got really fortunate to to catch over the last couple of days. Uh, Those of you who listened to the most recent episode will remember that I actually just recently moved to Austin. My wife, Nicole, and I decided we had uh, some opportunities out this way. So we decided to make that move at the start of the year. Uh, One of the benefits so far has been uh, Ben Patrick, or someone who you may know as Knees Over Toes guy, was in town for about a week or so, and he was uh, appearing on the Joe Rogan Experience. I would 100% recommend checking that episode out. They knocked out a couple hours diving into kind of his past, his training process, what entails his work and training uh, programming. Uh, I was especially interested because I've been following Ben Patrick's work and stuff for a while now. I actually have used some of his programming to uh, help rehab my right ankle when I injured it this last summer. So I was excited to meet him. He actually was kind enough to walk me through a workout that he thought was like just a really good way for me to kind of add to what I've already been doing. So we did that workout. Then we sat down and recorded a 30-minute podcast where we described the workout, I explained what I felt during it as a runner. So I kind of gave the runner perspective and then Ben gave us the hows and whys is why you're doing this order of operations, frequency, a whole bunch of stuff about it. So we had a great chat after that. That'll be a podcast that comes up uh, sooner rather than later. So look for those ones to come up. Uh, I'm targeting approximately four guest interviews per month during 2022 and probably one or two of these uh, solo episodes. So check those out coming up in the future, or if you're antsy and can't wait, you can check them out on Patreon, which is also a way to support this podcast. Uh, speaking of podcast support, another way you can support the Human Performance Outliers podcast is through the show sponsors. You can always see an updated list of the show sponsors at zackbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. And with that, link will also come details about the products that are sponsoring this show so you can have a better idea of whether there's something that would perhaps be useful for you or not as well as any discount codes or promotions that they are running oftentimes the show sponsors will give listeners a unique discount or guarantee or add on to their order so if you're interested in any of that stuff zachbetter.com forward slash hpo sponsors is the place to go for this particular episode My friends at BiOptimizers want to offer you an option to bolster your gut biome and therefore improve immunity. One big way you can improve immunity is by supporting your gut health. This is why BiOptimizers offers a product called Biome Breakthrough. Jonathan Jacobs, an MD professor at UCLA says the microbiome and immune system are critically intertwined This means that if you eat the wrong things, your immune system can suffer, but if you eat the right things, your immune system can become stronger. It can be difficult to eat all the right things all the time, so that's when Biome Breakthrough can shine. Biome Breakthrough contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, as well as one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY-MAX. IGY-MAX is a patented egg-based protein that enhances gut health, reverses damage caused by antibiotics, and even helps with immunity threats. By taking Biome Breakthrough, you can eliminate bad bacteria, feed good bacteria, build up your immunity, and repair your gut lining all at the same time. The best time to take Biome Breakthrough is first thing in the morning. Mix it in eight ounces of water and drink it on an empty stomach to experience less sickness, fewer gut problems, and less gas and bloating. As always, optimizers and Biome Breakthrough are risk-free with their impressive 365-day money-back guarantee, no, question asks. no questions asked. So if you purchase it, decide it's not for you, you didn't get the results you're looking for, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Uh, BiomeBreakthrough.com forward slash human is the link to go through to show them that you are supporting the show. Uh, that's BiomeBreakthrough.com forward slash human. And if you use the promo code HUMAN10, that's all caps, H-U-M-A-N-1-0, you'll receive 10% off any order from their product list. Uh, Just a reminder, 365-day money-back guarantee, no questions asked, biomebreakthrough.com forward slash human. Also, you could head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors for all podcast sponsors, discounts, and details, including Biome Breakthrough all right folks thanks for listening to that and if you want to also support the podcast through non-monetary ways you can always subscribe like share any podcast episodes or mini clips the episode is these episodes are up on all podcast platforms and video version on youtube so you can share that stuff with your friend. The YouTube channel will have mini clips as well. A lot of times when I finish a guest interview, what I will do is I will break that episode down into mini clips based on specific topics that we addressed. The YouTube channel hosts all those mini clips. So if you're someone who just wants to get seven, eight minute clip on a specific topic and then decide, okay, this podcast is worth listening to in full, that's a great spot to head for that. So head over to the YouTube channel, Human Performance Outliers podcast, if you're interested in that. All right. So those are the announcements. Now let's get into the show topic. So we have three questions that came into me over social media this time around. We're going to go through each one of those. Uh, The first one was, what is worse? Sugar example, like Coke. So like refined, pure sugar water, essentially, or alcohol like beer or a glass of wine for general health in your mind. I ask this because you've discussed the benefits of low carb at length, but not the downside of moderate alcohol. Thanks. Okay. So let's tackle this one kind of uh, first with uh, the sugar and then with the alcohol side of things. So for one sugar, I don't know if I would couch it as being bad inherently. Uh, I think Like most things, these things have a role. And a lot of times it's a dosage context type of a question. So that can be a big difference in one person. The next, for example, take world record holder, marathon world record holder, Iliad Kipchige, you know, some sugar during a hard workout session, right after hard workout session during a race where he's trying to run a low two hour time, probably not detrimental to him, uh, probably useful to him. Now, that same fueling strategy of taking in sugar during every single one of your workouts, whether it's slow, fast, or otherwise, whether it's short or long, and then doing that in the hope to, quote unquote, train your gut to be able to tolerate a bombardment of refined sugary products during whatever event you're training for, that may not be the best move for you, especially if you're more of a person who is just running for health, fitness, not necessarily looking to maximize your ability to process refined sugar, but looking more so for long-term health, fitness, enjoy your activity and be able to just kind of navigate your, your nutrition properly. And the reason I say that is because if you're going to go down a train, your gut protocol and start introducing engineered fuels during the day, during your workouts and all that sort of stuff. It's going to take up part of your daily intake, your energy intake. And someone who is, say, training five, six hours a week versus 10, 15, maybe even 20 at times for someone like Elud Kipchige, completely different scenarios. So, like, he inherits a massive calorie deficit every day through his training, has a big uh, account essentially that he needs to, he needs to add to that in order to stay on top of it. Most people aren't in that same boat. So what he's doing is very specific versus what say your average runner is going to do when they're preparing for, for whatever event they're doing. So sugar is going to be a very context specific thing. I mean, I will use it at times when I'm training very hard and when I'm racing and things like that. But, um, I think it's more of a, let's get very specific with the context let's get very specific with the person's goals. Let's get very specific with the person's tolerances and kind of how they feel when they're introducing some of these products and come up with a plan that's going to be successful for you, your goals and your individual uh, tolerances and intolerances. And that's where we kind of would come with that. So alcohol is uh, one where I think people would maybe lean even a little further to the side of just cut it out. And it's, there's really no positives to it. Um, this is sort of, untrue it just really depends and uh you really have to look at again context and quantity and timing and things like that before you either throw it all away or um keep it around so some of the downsides from a performance or recovery standpoint with alcohol can be it can inhibit inflammatory process so you may be thinking oh that's great i don't want inflammation i want uh, to minimize inflammation And this is where it can get kind of tricky. Chronic inflammation can be a problem. You don't want to be chronically inflamed. However, acute inflammation, which occurs after a hard workout, is actually good. It's the process your body goes through when your muscles break down and they need to be repaired. So you don't necessarily want to inhibit inflammation from happening after you just nailed a solid workout. At that point, you want to program just enough recovery to bounce back and get stronger from that workout. And alcohol can inhibit that process or slow that process down. Uh, Another thing that alcohol consumption can do is it can hinder protein synthesis. So you could potentially have a situation where by introducing too much alcohol, your body doesn't process and synthesize the protein the way it would without it, and therefore potentially negate some of your performance gains from whatever workouts you're doing or slow down your recovery, which given enough time, slowed recovery is gonna slow performance because you're just not able to do as much as you would have in a specific time frame as you would have had you not had that slowing of recovery and needing extra time to bounce back from any one workout. Uh, also some things that have been shown in research around alcohol consumption is it can decrease testosterone, melatonin, serotonin, and human growth hormone. It can be an antidiuretic hormone or it can decrease an antidiuretic hormone. so what that means is, uh, there are hormones or that keep you from just constantly needing to go to the bathroom or feeling you need to go to the bathroom alcohol can blunt that so you could end up kind of getting dehydrated from drinking alcohol because it it kind of blocks that hormone that would keep that from happening keep that uh you, keep keep your, yourself from being able to like actually retain the water you're drinking versus just process it out Uh, another thing it can do is increase cortisol. So that's kind of, you know, it makes sense. If you're decreasing testosterone, you may be increasing cortisol. So usually those things work opposite of one another. Another thing it can do is impair glycogen synthesis. So, uh, if you are looking to restock glycogen after a hard workout, if you drink alcohol, um, especially, I guess, if you drink alcohol in ex- exchange for whatever carbohydrate you would have maybe had otherwise, that can be a problem in terms of slowing down or impairing that glycogen synthesis, which again can keep future workouts off the table because you're not bouncing back from one to the next uh, in a timely enough manner. Uh, interesting thing about this a lot of these downsides, uh, some of the research is not very, or some of the research is quite a bit. So we're into like, pretty extreme amounts of alcohol consumption. When you get down to like moderate or small amounts, like, oh, I have a glass of wine with dinner a couple times a week, or, you know, once a week or twice a week after a group run, I'll go and I'll just have a couple of drinks with some friends or something like that. Very different than say someone who's having multiple drinks a day, every day. And a lot of these negatives tend to be kind of when you start getting into that more kind of consistent routine drinking, uh, you know, multiple, multiple drinks and things like that versus just the person who has a glass of wine with dinner or something like that. Uh, So then we get into some of the benefits. Benefits could be small amounts may actually be associated with better cardiovascular health. Small amounts may also increase testosterone production. So that's kind of a good example of what we just talked about. It can decrease testosterone at certain amounts. But if you stay in like small amounts of it, it can, in some cases, actually increased testosterone production, so there is, uh, you know, there's a a dosage context thing to be considered with with alcohol consumption, um, just like with things like sugar. So, uh, long story short, I think uh, you know if you use it reasonably, if it helps you kind of de stress a little bit at the end of a day a couple times a week to go hang out with friends and things like that, it might be good for you. It may be actually a net win, but if you become something that you're leaning on, it becomes a crutch because an everyday thing, something you're doing constantly in multi-serving uh, doses, likely you're going to start experiencing some of those negative uh, downsides to it versus the benefits. All right. Next question was what is your daily electrolyte strategy and what do you drink every day? All right. Great question. So the way I look at this is if I have enough electrolytes on board, if I'm getting enough sodium, potassium, magnesium are kind of the key ones, uh, then I'm likely able to just drink to thirst without having to necessarily force water or force drinking, even if I'm not thirsty, where you can run into problems in my, my experience or uh, when it comes to hydration is if you are like chronically suppressing the amount of sodium and electrolytes you're going to take in uh that can lead to a scenario where you just aren't going to get the thirst driving uh sensation that's going to cause you or lead you to drink enough water so what do i specifically do first i drink to thirst And I make sure I have salt and things like that and electrolytes in my meals. Uh, I'm usually planning around two really big kind of core meals during the day. And then depending on my workload or my energy output, I may add in more, uh, whether they be snacks or another meal is uh, usually the, the two different directions I'll go with that. But more often than not, I'll have two big meals. And those two big meals will likely have the most sodium and electrolytes in them. So around those meals specifically, I won't add electrolytes or salt or anything to the water I'm drinking. I'll eat that meal and then I'll just drink to thirst for a couple hours after that. Once I start getting into training and consuming fluids during a workout, that's where I'll start adding electrolytes. Uh, So usually I'm targeting somewhere in the neighborhood of five to 700 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of water consumed. So what that means is I can go out for a run and drink to thirst. If I'm thirsty, you have to get through one liter. I will tie five to 700 milligrams of electrolytes to that liter. If I'm thirsty and I drink two liters of water, it would have double that. So then I'd be a thousand to 1200 milligrams of electrolytes per two liters uh, of water consumed during that particular run or workout. Uh, The other thing I will consider with that is, um, is, uh, what am I eating? If I do have a meal that just happens to be really low in sodium electrolytes, I may add some more electrolytes to the water that I'm drinking. If it's a warmer time of year and I just find that I'm getting a lot more thirsty during the day than I normally am, and I'm drinking extra water above and beyond what I normally would uh, from just the meals I'm eating and the water that quenches my thirst after that, you know, I, the, the extra water I start taking in during, say, those warmer months of the year, I'll also add that extra five to 700 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of extra fluid consumed. Uh, the electrolyte I've been using, uh, for the better part of the last year or two is, uh, element. They, uh, they make these little sachets that have actually, I believe it's 1260 milligrams of electrolytes in total in their little packet. Uh, it's a thousand milligrams of sodium, six or 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. So one of those lasts me about two liters of fluid during a run or, if I'm adding extra electrolytes to my day, uh, two liters worth of that. And I love them because they come into these different flavors. They are kind of no nonsense. They don't have a bunch of extra stuff that come in with it. So I can just pour it into that, a jug of water and sip at that or bring it with me on the run. They also have uh, some chocolate flavored ones that sometimes I'll put in coffee in the morning if I'm gonna go for a longer run and not eat anything beforehand and and know I'm gonna be going a few hours without uh, consuming any electrolytes otherwise. So that's kind of how I'll I'll manage that. Uh, The one thing I do share with folks is when you get into the exercise side of this equation and you are going to be consuming things during it other than just plain water, then you should check what you're consuming to see what kind of electrolyte content is in there. Because a lot of the times the products that can be brought out onto uh, workouts and things like that will have some form of electrolyte in there. So you do want to account for that. And for example, like for the intra-workout, intra-race fuel I will take in is going to be Usually, a combination of S Fuels Train if I'm trying to keep carbs out of it, or S Fuels Race Plus, which is going to be the carbohydrate version uh, of their product line. So, just depending on what I'm trying to do from a macronutrient side, point, we'll determine which one of those I have. Both of those do contain electrolytes in them as well. So, if I'm having that during a workout, I will count that in towards the electrolyte totals that I'm looking for. I'm not going to do an additional five to 700 milligrams per liter of water on top of that. Uh, So hopefully that makes sense and gives you some insight into how I treat thirst, water consumption, electrolytes, and all that stuff. Uh, Last question is any tips, books, techniques on mental training and or visualization? How do you visualize race when you don't know the course? What is important for you in coaching relationship? How do you bridge fundamental differences such as like a vegan coach and a carnivore student? This is a really good question, multi-part question. So I'll kind of try to go through these one at a time and hit on some of these with uh, some of the information that I have. So any tips, books, techniques on mental training and or visualization? Uh, Books, there are a couple that came to mind right away when I saw this question. One was Dr. David Meyer. I actually had Dr. David Meyer on the show for episode 248. So if you're interested in a deeper dive into this particular topic, I would recommend checking out that episode. Uh, His book is called Injured to Elite uh, designed to empower you with the tools you need to take your game to the next level after any type of physical, mental, or emotional setback. So his book focuses on kind of mental training, especially after something that you hit a rough patch, whether that be, you know, doubting yourself, whether it be an actual injury, uh, all sorts of different stuff. But we had a really good conversation about just kind of how to mentally get into uh, you being confident and participating and performing at your given sport. So, one thing we talked about during that episode was just the process that I use specifically during ultra marathons to stay mentally focused and strong. And this bleeds a little bit into the next part of the question. But one thing I like to do is I like to use the workouts that are most specific to the event I'm going to participate in. So you can kind of use that for whatever you're doing to uh, just translate it to what you're training for versus what I'm training for. So for me, if I'm training for like a hundred miler, the key workouts or the workouts that are most specific to that particular event are going to be my long runs that I'm going to really start to lean into more heavily in like the last third of my training plan. I might even do back-to-back long runs on say Saturday, Sunday, or something like that. Those workouts, I am now always going to be thinking about what I should be thinking about during a race and start working on that mental process that I'm going to go through. Part of the reason for that is 100 miles is a long ways. So I'm never going to hit that in training in a way where I can just say, oh yeah, I experienced the entire 100 miles. Now I can use that to reflect on. I'm going to have to reflect all the way back to the last time I ran 100 miles for that type of experience. But you can hack it by just say, pretending that you're doing A portion of the race and just visualizing what you should be thinking and doing during that part of it. So let's say I'm doing a 30 mile long run. I'm going to pick, uh, the most specific example would be the last 30 miles of the race. And I'm just going to visualize during that 30 mile run, what I should be thinking about, how I should be focusing, how I should be behaving, uh, you know, what, what should I be doing from a fuel and hydration standpoint and all these things. I'm going to practice that mental piece to that during those training sessions, rather than just looking for purely the physiological benefits of putting in the actual physical work to be ready for the race itself. Um, another book along this topic line, Eric Aaron Alexander has a book called The Align Method, A Modern Movement Guide for a Stronger Body, Sharper Mind, and Stress-Proof Life. I actually had Aaron on for episode 269. We recorded about an hour where we did a pretty deep dive into like breath work, but we also focused on kind of the mental side of things and how actually thinking about some of these processes like breathing, like the way your body's position can actually feed into things like your mental process or building up mental strength. He talks a bit about how do you actually practice Uh being mentally strong so that your brain is trained, like your body is. How do you train your brain to be ready for what you're doing as well as your body? Uh, we're gonna do a much deeper dive into that particular topic when I have him on for round two. Round round two, Aaron is also in Austin, so we'll do an in-person interview at some point. I probably should have included him in the list of upcoming guests. We haven't recorded that one yet, so I didn't, but he will be on the short list of guests to come up in the next month or so. Uh, As I start kind of rolling out some of those episodes, but his book The Align Method would be a great one to check out if you're looking for kind of like mental tricks and processes to kind of focus on as you're preparing for whatever it is you're doing, whether it's life or some sort of sporting event. Um, How do you visualize race when you don't know the course so specifically the course, you know, this is probably where like a course specific terrain can be very valuable. So you know, some courses are really flat. Like sometimes I'll be on an actual track, 400 meter track. Others are very mountainous where you're running up and down steep hills and mountains and things like that. So if you have training terrain that can mimic that, you can kind of sort of practice a little bit more specifically what you should be doing with your mind during those sort of things. Uh, But from a visualization standpoint, you could do that without the actual course specific terrain. You could Take a look at the course profile and imagine like, okay, I'm going to be at this climb around this time. What should I be thinking about to kind of get myself through that? How should I be setting up my goal structure or my checkpoints in my mind where I'm focusing on getting from one spot to the next versus the entirety of the event and things like that? Knowing the course profile, even if you don't have access to training terrain that's similar to it, can be very useful in just walking your mind through the day or the minutes, hours, however long it's going to take you throughout that course and just really practicing that. So then when you get to it on the course itself, if you've done that mental homework, uh, whether it be during your training or just thinking about it outside of the actual act of preparation, uh, this is going to kind of give you some points of reference to lean onto that are a little closer than, uh, the last time you were on the course, or if in this case, you've never been on the course before. Um, last part of that question. Oh yeah. What is important for you in a coaching relationship? So like bridging fundamental differences, like a vegan coach and a carnivore student. Yeah. So as a coach, what I like to do is I think really, as a coach, I have to get to know the lifestyle, the goals, the preferences, what's important to that person, what's not important to that person before I can even come close to recommending anything. Uh, I do have some personal philosophies that I think work well the majority of the time, uh, especially when it comes to training. But I'm gonna take into context that particular person before I just blindly throw my philosophy at them. So an example that would be like, I'll do in my training programs, we will do the full battery of different intensities throughout the course of the training, whether that be short intervals, long intervals, tempo runs, easy pace stuff, base building stuff where we're targeting right around your aerobic threshold, uh, long run development, if it's long enough race back to back long run development, we're doing all that stuff. The question to me is usually order of operations, what comes first? Uh, Or what would we maybe eliminate from that list? So where order of operations comes into play is what event are you doing? Are you doing a 5K or a 100 mile? Have you had enough running experience to know how you respond to short intervals versus long, slow miles? Like some runners are much more risky to get injured by doing short intervals. Others are much more risky if they do a super high amount of volume. So really getting to know the history of that runner, what their strengths and weaknesses are, can help as to which of these we lean on maybe a little more heavy or sometimes even eliminate so for example i have coached some athletes in the past where uh anytime we throw short intervals at them they just get injured so depending on their goals we may not focus as heavily on that area of the training program or we'll find a workaround that's going to be lower impact so let's say that the short intervals it's just the jarring additional impact from that fast more aggressive we can probably mimic that somewhere by either having them do their short intervals, their intense stuff up a hill, which is going to be a lower impact or using a cross training technique, like uphill biking or something like that, or some sort of a a machine at the gym, like an elliptical or something that's going to be a little more low impact in order to give them that physiological adaptation, but not necessarily hit them with the pounding that running is going to produce. Uh, nutritionally, I think, uh, when it gets to ultra running, my view with nutrition is you need to have options for folks because people are going to come to you with a variety of different dietary approaches. I mean, I've coached athletes who are vegan. I've coached athletes who are strict carnivore and everything in between. And usually my first question or first comment around nutrition isn't, this is what you need to do. It is what are you doing? And then we dig a little deeper into what is it that you like don't like what problems have you experienced if any with your nutritional approach how do we fine-tune it so if someone comes to me and they're following a vegan diet and they're recovering quick from their workouts their performance is improving we're hitting all the benchmarks and training their goals are there they prefer a vegan diet i'm not going to try to like tell them to switch from that we're going to dial in more specifically Well, what do you need to fuel your body in order to keep heading in the direction you're heading, if that's positive. And then ultimately what do you need to have available to you on the day of performance to be able to match your, your needs on the day of, which for me is usually an ultra running, going to be glycogen defense, because that's the fuel tank you're going to potentially deplete during, during one of these, these long, low intensity races and taking an honest look at whether the person can fuel enough given their current dietary programming or if they need to manipulate their macronutrients in a way to minimize the amount of fueling they need to do versus someone who can seemingly eat all day without having any digestive issues. So there's a lot of context, individuality with that one. I 100% do not believe that we have a preferred dietary protocol for races that are as long as like 100 miles. It's, It's so long, so low intensity, there's so many other variables that also impact. I think when you start getting too far into the weeds in terms of recommending very specific myopic, like one dimensional type approaches is when you run into problems with a large percentage of the people you're trying to work with. So that's my kind of general approach with it is uh, I'm not looking to force anything onto someone. If someone's really interested in a specific dietary approach and they make that one of their goals to implement that, see how they feel with it, experience it. Hey, if that's one of their goals, I'll help them try to navigate those waters as best I can. Um, But yeah, it's not going to be something as simple as in order to do this, you have to do this, or it's off the table. It's really up to the person and their goals. And if someone has a dietary program that I suspect is going to cost them on the back end from a performance standpoint, then i i I'm not afraid to mention that. I'll say I suspect that this may be something you have to hurriedly have to get over and we'll look at whether that's something that they want to continue doing or if they're willing to make adjustments and things of like that. but it's definitely more of a you know let's let's see how this is working for you and go from there versus you know, throw everything out the window you've been doing before and let's just go with my approach and my approach only type of a mindset with with that. All right. So those are our question and answer segments for today. Uh, last we're going to do a sample day. So I will do the training side first, and then I'll highlight the nutrition side for that day. Just a reminder, this is one sample day. doesn't mean this is what I do every day on both the training and nutrition side. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to hit my exact energy output for one day if you've listened to podcasts i've done in the past i like to look at it more as a multi-day window where if i'm doing like this set of workouts at the end of this three-day stretch i probably need this much energy if i don't want to start feeling kind of like depleted by the end of it all and want to really push the needle on on training and things like that uh so don't read too much into this in terms of like just plug and play Uh, if you're interested in other samples, pretty much on all of these solo podcasts for the last few, I've been doing a sample day in there and I will continue to do so. So if you're looking to kind of get a whole picture, uh, listening to all of them and kind of piecing together what I was doing on those days and what I was eating can maybe be a little more of a holistic idea of kind of what it, what it's like, uh, the training for this particular day. Uh, I'll just share that at this point in my training phase, I'm still base building, uh, coming off an off season, um, and I'm just trying to develop or redevelop solidify a strong enough foundation where I can start adding some, some speed work to it. And then from there, I will train specifically for likely a fast runnable hundred miler somewhere around, uh, early summer, uh, late spring kind of time frame. So AM I woke up, I did 14.5 miles at a 647 per mile pace. So it was one hour and 38 minutes heart rate was on average, 147 beats per minute, had 500 feet of elevation gain. That evening I did a short, easy run, uh, just ran to the gym essentially, it was four miles, eight minute mile pace, 32 minutes total, heart rate, 128 beats per minute. At the gym, uh, it was a strength day with the main focus on lower body and some core. I did some tibialis raises, some knees over toes, calf raises, knees over toe squats, split squats, cable squats, seated weighted calf raises, hanging leg raises, and cable twists. So that was the training side of things. Nutrition side at 6 a.m., woke up, I had a cup of coffee with four ounces of milk, half a packet of element chocolate, one tablespoon of peanut butter. Went out for that first run at 9 a.m. I had one cup of blueberries, two scoops of S-Fuels Life, one scoop of S-Fuels Revival, and two scoops of S-Fuels Train with some whole milk. I blended that up in a smoothie. Then at 10 a.m., I had six eggs, one cup of shredded cheese, half a cup of sauerkraut, half a cup of spinach, and one tablespoon of olive oil and salt. At 6 p.m., I had one pound of ground beef, two medium potatoes, one cup of broccoli, one bell pepper, two tablespoons of olive oil, two tablespoons of peanut butter, and a quarter cup of mixed nuts. And that was the nutrition for the day on that one. All right, folks, there you have it. That was our questions and our sample day for this solo episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, if you're interested in show details in previous podcast episodes, you can head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. You can follow me on social media for Instagram at Zach Twitter at ZBitter, Facebook at zbitterendurance. Endurance. Uh, you can search for my name, Zach Bitter, on Strava if you're interested in looking in a little deeper into the training I'm doing and what I'm up to on that side of things. Uh, so go over there, give me a follow on those and get any show updates from there. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, this is the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, if you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.